This is The Guardian. With the government seemingly in freefall and the economy crashing, at the Labour conference in Liverpool, Keir Starmer was doing his very best to look like the next Prime Minister. Don't forget, don't forgive. The only way to stop this is with a Labour government. Beyond the surreal world of speeches and fringe meetings, voters are feeling massively anxious about a crisis affecting people further and further up the income scale. We're probably middle of the road, maybe slightly higher, but it is really taking the pinch. I've got £200 saved up in my gas and electric accounts, but I'm too scared to use it. This feels like a moment of reckoning for Liz Truss, only weeks after she took power. But has the opposition found its stride? And is that enough? I'm John Harris, and you're listening to Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. We've come to Liverpool at a remarkable moment for politics. As the country looks on in horror at the aftermath of Friday's so-called mini-budget, the Labour Party might at last have a very serious chance of forming the next government. As the pound tanks and the Bank of England is forced to try and desperately clear up Truss and Quasi Kwarteng's mess, one opinion poll has put Labour 17 points ahead of the Conservatives. Liverpool has always been known as a political city with a very strong Labour identity. And sure enough, as we walk through Liverpool Central Railway Station, producer Maz and I are spotted. Why have you come up to Liverpool? I'm at the World Transformed. Oh, are you? Yeah. So. I don't have to ask you what you think of yourself. It seems today, you know, Labour Party 17 points ahead. Yeah. It's said, I haven't been down there yet, there's a feeling at conference that they, there's a, there's a, you know, it's very, very likely they're going to form the next government and so on. Does that make you feel better about, about the predicament? I most definitely want a Labour government. That's why I'm in the Labour Party. So, but I don't think we can take things for granted and win by default because the Tories are wrecking the country. We need to win by leading. And we lead by being bold, by being visionary, by articulating values that resonate with people. So you're not a Starmer out merchant? I'm not, no. I mean, he's the elected leader. We just, um, and we have to accept that. Um, I just wish he, he were more true to the... 10 points that he stood on initially um, and, he, and he felt the, the mood of the, the membership. The stakes are high, aren't they? I totally agree. I mean, it's about the, the, the soul of our country and I believe uh, Keir's making a speech today where he's reclaiming you know, some language from Tony Blair, which, you know, basically saying that the Labour Party is, uh, you know, representing the, the, the people. Um, and, and that's what it is. What, what type of country are we? Uh, and, and we're better than this. Right, lovely thank to meet you. Thanks thank so much, you. man. Thank you. I thought that was quite interesting, what he said about Blair. Quite surprising to me. What, the fact he sounded positive about the idea that Starmer was sort of drawing on Blair's example? Yeah, like, I would not have expected a trade union member to think that... On, on his way to the world transform, the sort oh. of momentum-type gathering. Exactly, and think about Keir Starmer two, what, however many years ago, 2021 in Brighton, being heckled, and now there feels like this kind of everyone's unified. Yeah, well, two things have happened. I think the Labour Party now takes very seriously the idea that it's got a very, very good chance of winning the next election. And that's only happened in, what, the last sort of four or five months, maybe? Mm. So there's that. But I think also on the part of sort of activist people, you know, there's some policy stuff here which they feel is good and solid. Yeah. And, and 
route to the Labour Party where they want it to be. So that sort of Green New Deal type stuff about this great green industrial energy revolution. The idea they're going to restore the top rate of tax and use it to recruit more doctors. You know, they're going to nationalise the railways as the contracts come back in. You know, that will make people feel good about being Labour activists in a way that, that probably up to now Starmer hasn't really. But he did still say, I want a positive vision. I don't want us to win just because we're not the Tories. Yeah, yeah. And See, I'm no fan is of... Is Keir Starmer <laughs> giving that? Uh, well, we'll we're, we're about to find out. We're on a very noisy Mersey rail train on its way to Egbeth, which is a suburb of Liverpool, just sort of outside the middle, where I'm told sort of sort of reasonably affluent, youngish, professional-type people very often live. Because as much as we're here for all this political hoopla down at Labour Conference, the big moment is all about what a hash in a matter of four or five days the Liz Trust government has made of the economy. And let's be honest, you know, what that means for people's lives. It's not about abstract statistics. Is this your cafe? Yes, it is. We work for The Guardian, the newspaper. We're making a podcast, partly set in Egbert. How much have your bills gone up? Excuse me, asking. Uh, from April, it went from two seventy a month, which we had an undirected debit fixed tariff, to five seventy. Wow! Overnight. Wow! Had to make a few uh, adjustments. What we have to. Things? We have to go. A couple of people. We've had to let go. A couple of people. Uh, mind you, they were not exactly sort of pushing the vote as much as possible. Every little bit helps. Every hour we can save in terms of payroll here and there. It does help. So we can talk to you for a minute, is that right? Yeah. That's very kind, thank you. So here we, in, here we are in the cafe and uh, Maz, our producers, just met the three of you. You all work in the public sector. We can't say more than that. Tell me how life is at the moment. Tough. Life's tough. Um, watching every penny you spend, uh, talking about points in Tesco's this morning about how I'm actually going to go back to Tesco's with my receipt to get £5 back when my Tesco club card did not work. That's how tough it's getting. Looking at petrol, thinking now, am I going to be able to meet my friends coming over from the Wirral to Liverpool in the next couple of months? How much is that going to cost me? Um, but you're, and you're not doing what an outsider would consider a low-paid job, no, right? No, no, we're probably middle of the road, maybe slightly higher, but it is really taking the pinch. Uh, not had the heating on at all. I've got £200 saved up in my gas and electric accounts, but I'm too scared to use it. Because if I use that up, what's going to happen after that? So I and worry about yeah. Because imagine yeah. retired people, yeah. they're too scared. Do we buy food? Do we pay our gas and lecky yeah. bill? Yeah. You know, and we're worried about it. So imagine if you're on a really restricted yeah. budget, I don't, can't even, your heart breaks. No, no. Someone who here with us who's trying to, going to buy a house can't buy a house now because of the way the interest rates are going up so that's interesting because you've got the cost of living in terms of prices and energy bills but you're also very directly getting whacked by interest rates going up yeah yeah each month i'm not even putting money into my help to buy or anything because i don't have enough money to put in because i'm spending it on bills fascinating sitting here in what looks like quite a sort of well-to-do environment this is the suburbs you know this is not somewhere you'd think you would have conversations with people about about big financial worries and here we are you know 
isolation. Getting older, I was just saying to your colleague, I expect things to get easier for me. I live on my own now. My children have grown up, but they're getting worse. It's getting harder, you know, and, and I still save a little bit each month, but it's certainly probably a third of what I used to save 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Like, I've got young kids, and we'd normally be thinking about next summer. Well, that's written off. We're not going on holiday next year. Can't afford to. Just can't. So... Whale Book Day will be coming up next year in March, whenever it is. And, you know, these little outfits, you didn't think anything about it a couple of years ago. Now, forget about it. You won't be getting dressed up. Can't afford to when I work full time. It sounds ridiculous, a dressing up day, but to kids, things like that are a big deal. That's what marks out the bits of the year, isn't it? Totally. I I mean, and also, are you watching things like food spending as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I... I don't go over a budget every week, whereas before I probably would just go around the supermarket. What do you think of the job the government's doing at the minute? Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Misguided. Um, we say terrible, and I agree, but how, how do they govern? How do you govern this whole situation with the COVID, with what's happening with you the war? You don't think they made this mess? I think we're part of it, but I don't think we've made it all. I mean, how how I would how Brexit? Brexit. Yeah, but I voted Prices for Brexit. That's the word. No one, no one mentions that word. Yeah, I, I I didn't know how it was going to affect us for people, and there are certain points where I wish we ha- I hadn't voted. I think very hard about it now. I voted Brexit for the wrong reasons. Okay. Yeah. The current government don't seem to care. The entire system is broken, whether it's social services, whether it's uh, in hostels. There's such a backlog that ambulances are taking hours to get to people who've fallen over. Literally the other day I was at an incident where an old man was laying in the road with his head cracked open and it took nearly two hours for an ambulance. Wow. Okay, so two questions arise. Has anyone here voted Conservative in the past? You have? Yeah, Would you vote Conservative again? I don't think I would, but I don't know who to vote for. Well, it's only one of the parties going to form a government. It's it's either because of our electoral system, partly, but the choice really is you've either either got the Conservatives or the Labour Party. Any better for us? I don't know. I don't know. You don't even have the faith to try, because at the moment it's not good, but yet you're not thinking anything would be better? No, I think I would do, I'd go in blind and vote for somebody else. Yeah, I wouldn't vote Conservative again, no, no. I've always voted for it to be Labour or the Lib Dems. I've never, ever voted for Conservatives because they, from my viewpoint, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. OK. Brexit was sold as a magic, <laughs> a magic solution and there are no magic solutions. There's only slightly better and, if anything, Labour at least slightly better. That's, well, that's interesting, yeah. So you're not, you're not waiting for the new Jerusalem. You just want things to, <laughs> things to improve. Keir Starmer doesn't have to be the second Christ. He, <laughs> he, he, just, def- he just actually appears to care. Thank you. Take care. There's a little sign of hope for the Labour Party, right? One of that group of friends was, was conservative yeah, with a capital was. and small c in their yeah. politics. Yeah. And, you know, in this tentative, slightly hesitant way, she's now decided she's going to vote Labour yeah. and she next She basically said it when we asked her. And, that's, and there's one little indication of why there's that 17-point gap in the polls now, right? That's because of people like her. Yeah. There are Tories who are coming over to Keir Starmer's side. The other thing that's fascinating is I cannot begin to emphasise enough 
that this is a stereotypically suburban, sort of comfortably off environment, right? We're in a big, great big suburban avenue, it's tree-lined, lovely cafe there, it's, you know, organic, locally sourced and all of that, you know. If you lived here, you'd think you were doing okay, wouldn't you? And without even trying, we start having conversations with people about how they're counting every last penny and switching the heating off. In the cafe, his bills have doubled, he's had to lay people off, you know. Yeah. The extent to which this crisis goes way up the income scale, is that, that's one of the most striking things about it. You know, like in your house, there's the constant buzzing of a fridge. <laughs> this is conference fridge buzz, right? This, this low undercurrent of people just talking, talking, talking about politics. Excited and about Labour policy. Armor and then what policy we passed yesterday and this is going to be a Green New Deal and where are we on proportional representation or whatever. That's what this is, right? Is that what it's always been like? First time I came to Labour Party conference, I was a teenage Labour Party activist. I was 16. I came in 1986. It was in Blackpool by the seaside. And it was constantly on the verge of just going out of control, you know. Constant faction fighting. All the leaflets you got got thrust at you on the way in were all like Labour briefing, campaign group, Labour solidarity. There were all these factions and they all... It seemed like they were much more obsessed with each other than they were with Margaret Thatcher and the Tories. It was just a very surreal experience. And, you know, it's a much more sort of ordered thing now. And there's like the banners everywhere with their like key message... Every year has a big slogan. Um, and this year's, in its own rather anodyne way, sort of speaks to what the conference is meant to be about centrally, which is this big policy of green investment. So it's a fairer, greener future. It's time. It's time to write a new chapter of Labour Party history about how we built a fairer, greener, more dynamic Britain by tackling the climate emergency head-on and used it to create the jobs, the industries and the opportunities of the future. We cannot afford to miss out because some nation is going to lead the world in offshore wind. Why not this one? Some nation, some nation will win the race for electric vehicles. Why not us? Some nation will be the first to harness new hydrogen power. Why not Britain? So we will set up great British energy within the first year of a Labour government. Conference, a new company that takes advantage of the opportunities in clean British power. And because it is right for jobs, because it is right for growth, because it is right for energy independence from tyrants like Putin, then yes, conference, great British energy will be publicly owned. Keir Starmer's big policy announcement, which received a lengthy standing ovation from the audience, was that a Labour government would create Great British Energy, a publicly owned company harnessing the UK's clean green resources. Ed Miliband is the Shadow Secretary for Climate Change and Net Zero, and we grabbed him after the speech. You're the Shadow Minister at this conference, apart from Keir Starmer. <laughs> With a kind of key brief, right? I mean, yes. energy and climate change is the big thing. Definitely. Give me a sense of what, from your perspective, what size of step has just been taken in terms of what we've just heard? Well, a very big step. Look, we know we've worked on this for months with Kia. And it starts with 
zero carbon power by 2030, which is world-leading commitment. No other major country is committed to that. But it's not just about doing the right thing on energy and climate. It is about how do you reindustrialize Britain? How do you change our economy? And that's why the sort of accompanying announcements, and this is always the way we envisaged it, the sovereign, the National Wealth Fund, investing in Britain, investing in British jobs, and crucially today, and perhaps surprisingly to some people, uh, GB Energy, a publicly owned energy company, um, about which there's been little debate in the Labour Party, you may have heard, uh, over the past year or so. Um, what you mean in the sense that this has seemingly come from nowhere? Here it is. I think if people had been like taking a sweep on what the centrepiece of Keir Starmer's speech would be, they maybe wouldn't have bet on a publicly owned energy company. No, I mean, I, for what it's worth, and these things that don't really matter, but I wrote a, a comment piece in The Guardian a year ago, partly about his last conference speech, and said it's no good putting the climate emergency down in paragraph 67 and not having it at the, at the heart of what you've got to say. Now, I can't really make you that were criticism right. now. You were right. I was right. And, but let me tell you about GB Energy. I'm usually right. There you are. That's I've always thought, John, <laughs> over our long relationship. Um, now, look, why is GB Energy important? Or what's the, what's the rationale? Are you rash- yourself now? You're asking yourself uh, yeah, questions. Yeah, it's a new old new Labour trick. Be careful, it's uh, an old new Labour trick. It's yeah. important. It's, you're such a so-and-so. <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's important because... Let me give you this fact, nerdy fact. What percentage of our offshore wind capacity do you think is owned by foreign governments? Not foreign companies, yeah. but foreign governments. Can I have a guess? Yeah, go on. 45%. You're completely right. You must have known. No, I didn't know that. Well, you are, you are genuinely brilliant then. So 45%. Yeah, it is, it is 45%. If you look at the top 10 renewable countries in the world, all of them have state energy companies apart from us. Now, why is that? Because if you have a state energy company, you also build a supply chain, you build jobs in your country, you have procurement muscle, you can get your uh, renewable energy moving when the private sector doesn't step up. And so this is a pragmatic value for money choice. A couple of basic questions. Yeah, go on. What's the, what will be the ownership structure of it? It will be publicly owned. But what does be, that mean? Do well, you mean like an old school 1945 no, nationalised industry? No, a new or something style. more mutualised, democratic, well, rooted more in yes, the fabric of people's lives? De- definitely not old style, but it's important it is owned by the state, 100% owned by the state, because I think that is what gives um, government power to influence what happens on renewable energy generation, yeah. what happens on jobs, uh, and what happens on all of the things that matter. But absolutely... Well, but it, might it blur into things like community energy cooperatives? Well, it, I think, let me, come, let me say on community energy cooperatives, another cute Labour phrase, yes, we need to do that, but that's probably separate from, from GB Energy. We're just getting started. Okay. Look, we're just getting started on this. Uh, we set out a year ago a plan to invest £28 billion each and every year in climate investment we've heard the first tranche of this but there's going to be a lot more okay how big a player in the energy sector will great british energy be will it will it be a, like the idea that you have a small token public sector presence not to token. keep everyone else on their toes not token or will it be as big as the as the bps of this world well it won't be as big as bp sort of in but you know, day, day one day one but look we're doing this because we are serious about this transformation. And look, you know the thing. You've I've got to answer the question. The, it's going to be big, but the, the way I've <laughs> the way I've thought the, the way I've thought about it is we've got this very exacting target. This 2030 zero carbon power is not easy. We need every tool at our disposal to make it happen, and GB Energy is going to be a big part of that. We last spoke at Glastonbury at the festival yeah. for the podcast, anyway. 
when you uh, were speaking in front of an audience of climate activists, quite hardcore climate activists, and effectively saying, it's good that you make a lot of noise and sometimes lie in the road and all that because it keeps people like me on my toes. Do you think you would have made this announcement had it not been for Greta Thunberg and the, and the school strikes and people protesting in the numbers that they have Possibly about, about not. climate? Possibly not. I mean, look, I'm very committed on this agenda, but I think, you know, public mobilisation on these issues is really, really important. And by the way, when there is a Labour government, if there is a Labour government, I should say, people will have to still keep mobilising on these issues because there are a lot of big forces out there that don't want this to happen. You know, if you're a fossil fuel company, if you're a fracking company, this is not what you want. Now, here's a question about, about the immediate political future. Yeah. The next six months, well, you know, the Tories are going to be in charge and people are going to have a horrific yeah. time of it. They are having a horrific time of it. We spoke, uh, we were in Egbeth, a suburb of Liverpool, earlier today. Met three people with... Outside the bubble. Uh, yeah, outside the bubble. Met three people with sort of middle ranking, what you think I think of as reasonably paid public sector jobs, counting every penny, cancelling holidays, can't get their kids' costume for World Book Day. You know, the, the, these, these very sort of nitty-gritty mundane Absolutely. things which tell you that the mess things are in. How do you carry on conveying a message of political hope in those circumstances? What's your job? I think our job is to you know, show solidarity with those people to push the government to go further and faster on the help they need to give to people, but also to try and hasten the end of this government. They're doing quite a job, good job of They're that doing themselves. a good job of it themselves, yeah. But, but, look, they're doing a good job of it themselves, but I am the eternal warrior against complacency. I, you know, you may know I was leader of the Labour Party until 2015, and some people thought I was going to win. Um, and so, you know, yes, they have screwed it up in a most unbelievable way, particularly in the last few days, but there is still a big fight on. Yeah, the other people we, the people we spoke to today, most of them were going to vote Labour, if not all of them, just in the expectation it might make things a bit better. They've got to think, they've got to have sort of higher hopes than that, haven't they? Totally, totally, and we've got more to do to do that. And today was very good. I mean, I thought today was a very, very good speech, but we've all—it's a collective job we've got more to do to inspire people look you know what i think about politics which is big ideas are our friend and at this moment people want big change and it's not just at this moment you know it goes back to brexit goes back to the financial crisis and people are waiting for this big change to be delivered ed Miliband, the shadow secretary for climate change and net zero after the break, we hear from the Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham and the Guardian's political editor Pippa Creerow on how successful they think this conference has been and if Keir Starmer is ready for government. Welcome back to Politics Weekly UK. We are now joined by Pippa Creera, the political editor of The Guardian. Give me a thumbs up for my pronunciation of her surname again. And Andy Burnham, which is very easy to pronounce, the mayor of Greater Manchester. Hello to you both. And to you. Hi. Marks out of ten for Keir Starmer's speech, please. I think 
it depends on what you are judging it on. And if he, if you're judging it on what he needed to do today, I'd say it was a solid eight out of ten because he contrasted himself with the chaos of the government since last Friday with somebody that looks serious and competent and stable. It wasn't necessarily the most inspirational speech in it, although there were good, strong passages. Yeah. But he did, I think, what he needed to do and be walking today, away today at the end of that quite happy. I said something very similar, just you know, walking away. He, Number, he ha- please. Yeah, similar. Hey, um, you know, he did what needed to be done and he took the ground that the Tories vacated on Friday, Black Friday, as it will become to be known, because I think they made a catastrophic misjudgment. They, they've lost the narrative for a generation, I think, with what they did. Giving all of that money to the richest in a cost of living crisis is something that I think will enter British political folklore. Okay, let's talk about the real world briefly. Um, because it's easy to get sort of myopic. We're, here we are in Liverpool and everything's about conference. Can we just zoom out for a minute and just talk about the mess that the economy is in and more to the point, your sense of where the Conservative government is at right now. What's going to happen in the next five, six days, fortnight? There's clearly a lot of unrest right at the heart of government. We're hearing stories of rows in number 10 between Liz trust and quasi quartering about uh, their response to the pound and I think what they both seem to be keen to do publicly at least is try and stabilise things a bit I mean obviously it's no good for them politically or indeed the country economically if the market's all over the place but they've decided that their way to do that is to, is to both reassure the city, as Kwasi Kwarteng has done, spoken to lots of uh, traders and executives and so on, but also to stick with their plan. They think that if they stick rigidly to what they're going to do, then we'll all be happy to wait eight weeks until this new fiscal statement, which he's going to make. Go on, I'm to interrupt you, Pippa, but the thing is, I, I was just seeing Sunak supporters, one of them tweeting this morning that this is what we warned about and we said, and can't help but think that the Tory party is going to be going into meltdown now. Red Wall Tory MPs, I think they they will be in real despondency tonight. I think they'll they'll just be feeling that the game is completely up for them, won't they? But it's too early, isn't it? Strangely, I mean that that this has happened so quickly. I mean, effectively, given the the interregnum that the Queen dying caused, you were sort of three or four days into the, in the meaningful life of this government yeah. and the economy tank. And and you not the party's not going to turn no matter how bad things are. The party's not going to turn on them at a conference. What about ten days after they've effectively started running? Things? I don't think so. I think that. As I say, they've got this plan to try and stabilise things over the next eight weeks. I don't think they've got that time, personally. I think they'll find that they have to come back to the Commons sooner and we'll get to see, have to see the OBR growth forecast sooner. But having spoken to loads of Tory MPs, both serving ministers and, in, and backbenchers, people that sort of were in government before over the last couple of days... The overwhelming sense from them seems to be one of paralysis. What do we do now? Let's go back to Labour Party conference. Pippa... Tell me what the intended messages are. I think the key thing is that this is actually sort of the first pages in the next chapter of Labour's path back to government, as they would see it. Now, it's been made so much easier for them against the backdrop of last week and the utter chaos and obviously the economic crisis we're now finding ourselves in. Not least because it enables Keir Starmer to say, these are all the things that we would do you guys are also, you, the ordinary, you know, the ordinary voter, are going to be suffering during the cost of living crisis, and the Tories, their focus, and you heard this throughout Keir Starmer's speech, is going to be on that top one percent. It's going to be on the richest. I mean, it is such an own goal 
from the Tories and whatever they do now, whether they U-turn, whether they stick with it and try and double down, I mean, the damage has been done for them. One more question. What are they nervous about? Cut through. I think there's so much else going on. Politics has kind of been on fast forward for the last two years. I mean, politics comes at you fast these days. And they've got a huge amount to do in the next two years in terms of convincing voters that they are on their side, particularly those key red wall 2019 Tory voters trying to win enough of them back into the fold and in Scotland is the other second this sort of second other big bit of it to be able to form a decent you know to a majority a decent majority and to actually be able to do things in government. Andy we're told this is a conference sort of characterised by unity really and there are certain people who are a bit brassed off with the fact that you have not quite bought into the line and and have said things that perhaps make people at the top uncomfortable there are parts of, of their policy agenda that you see as lacking. We, you and I have talked about those in the recent past and that somehow you're not on the team. Do you mind that? I think this is where Labour needs to understand the role that I do and that Steve Rotherham does. You know, we, we, That's the Mayor of Merseyside. Right? Yeah, we're, we're not in the Shadow Cabinet. We're not getting the briefing. We have a job to do to call it for our part of the world. And to, the more we do that convincingly and authentically, the, the more Labour will, it will connect people to labour here. How do you feel about the fact that whether deliberately or not you're on the outside of it and you're not bound into decisions? You're one of the most powerful labour politicians in the country at the moment and you're not really part of the decision making processes and in sort of setting the messages that we hear and so on. You seem to be kept at arm's length. I think that's probably how it should be though John. I mean honestly because I remember in the early days of devolution to Scotland where it was kind of badged as the branch office if you remember you yeah. know that it got its orders from the shadow cabinet <laughs> well you know devolution is dead if you and that's why labor i think was seriously harmed in scotland by that perception that it just took its orders from what was said in the the westminster meeting rooms so you know mark drakeford hasn't done that in wales and he doesn't do that he does speak in the way that he thinks is right for wales and i I I do the same, you know, and, you know, Sadiq has said things on drugs policy. You know, we all will come up with things that are our own thing, you know, that is right for us. You've got a clearer and more coherent vision and a a brand of politics. I guess I've been around... Which which marks you out a bit more than Sadiq Khan does. Well, I've been on that journey, haven't I, that 16 years in Parliament, through the Cabinet and then into the position. And, you know, I've been around so long that I'm not now going to not say what I think you know I think I've, in, I've earned the right to say what I think to my own party and people shouldn't take that always as an attack it's meant to be helpful um, and I want to see Keir as Prime Minister I want to see Labour, Labour in government I think that is now going to happen which is which is great but I will still speak up for Greater Manchester uh, in in the way that I've always Pip, always done. Pippa's laughing and I don't know why. Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks I'm not being entirely uh, truthful, no. I think. No, 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 it's not that at all. No, it's just, it's just really striking to me that, you know, if, if you're looking for a row at Labour conference, and we in the press sometimes get accused of trying to sort of dig out a row, well, there's been two, I suppose, at this conference. One has been about the policy... Uh, battle around proportional representation and the other has been Andy's comments on tax and I think back to this time last year and I think my god it's so tame now if I kind of think back to this time last year in fact even like during the year outside of conference season and still the internecine warfare that was going on in the Labour Party and how far it's come on that in such a short period of time Um, I uh, saw an interview with Lisa Andy of all people where she was talking about the idea that this Labour Party was going to finish the job started by New Labour 
as if this was the line that people were taking. I think there was a, a big image of Tony Blair flashed up on the screen yesterday and everybody cheered. There was a Tony Blair line in Starmer's speech when he said Labour should be the political wing of the British people as a whole. I don't think he said as a whole, but that's an old Tony Blair quote, right? Now, I'm somebody who over time got very estranged from the Labour Party by what happened to New Labour by about 2002, 2003, right? So that makes me a bit uneasy because I still associate Tony Blair with the Iraq war and all those obvious things. You have, you have a, bit of a, a bit of a cringe and a queasy feeling about people being overly generous about New Labour and missing out what they got wrong and so on. Do you worry about some of that? Well, I think that brings me to what I wanted to say about the speech, which is, I guess, my big point of analysis which is I think Keir moved beyond New Labour oh, okay. in the speech because you may have heard running into conference and again with one of my helpful interventions <laughs> from the from the side I was saying in in a cost of living crisis you need public control and public ownership of life's essentials water gas electric buses trains and we've been making that argument through the summer and indeed I've I've put buses under public control in Greater Manchester. And for me, that was a kind of interesting issue to see how that was dealt with at this conference. But we have had a commitment to um, public ownership of railways from Louise Hay, which was a really positive thing yesterday. But Keir made a, a, the centrepiece of his speech was public ownership of uh, a big, new, new energy, energy company. company. And yeah. I think that does move beyond the new Labour position, which was often that the the mantra that the market will solve everything. And, it, you know, if anything, new Labour bought that too much far too much and Keir is moving beyond that for the new times that we are in and I think that actually is an important point of departure in his speech today why is it why does somebody in in the upper reaches of the Labour Party organization thinks it's important to push those new Labour buttons so I think it's more about the optics and the way I'd put it if you want to make comparisons with former leaders is that actually I think politically I'd say Keir is much more aligned with Ed Miliband, but through the optics of Blairism. That it's, it's just about pressing buttons with a certain section of the population and probably of the Tory party to rile them by reminding them that Labour is capable of delivering a huge majority and having several terms of, of, of power in office. It's not actually about Keir being a new Blairite. I mean, okay. he's definitely, we live in a different world now. But saying that he's aligned with Ed Miliband, or more aligned with Ed Miliband's view of things, is... is really saying that he's a creature of what people like you and I would call the soft left really. I, I think that's probably a fair appraisal of where Keir stands and certainly on the green energy stuff I mean it was a fair it's a fairer greener yeah. Yeah. what was the slogan that's fairer it greener yeah. fairer greener Britain. Britain fairer greener Britain fairer greener Britain I think a couple of things just to say on that definitely to agree with Pippa Ed Miliband's fingerprints were all over that speech uh, today uh, secondly um, the party's basically adopted Greater Manchester's vision because we <laughs> put forward our fairer, greener Greater Manchester uh, earlier this year. There was a vote, a very significant vote, a lot of people say, uh, which committed the Labour Party as a policy to a fairer, more proportional voting system. That happened yesterday. Keir Starmer on Sunday said that that vote effectively would be ignored. You've been making the case for these sorts of changes as the only basis really on which you, you can change the country where's that at now it's just kicked into the long grass and, and, and that be sort of ignored over the next two or three years well I don't know where it's at and I have said that I hope um, Keir and the shadow cabinet will keep an open mind on, on the issue and listen to the clear view of the not just the party but the Labour movement and it's not just a sort of a, a small mine a small majority I think this is overwhelming isn't it this is the clear 
um, will. Give I would pull say. in the face. Only because I think that they are prioritising and they've got limited bandwidth running into a general election to pick which areas they're going to focus on. And I just can't see electoral reform being regarded, important though it may be, and, and you know, it changed the, lands- the political landscape. I just can't see it being something that they regard as important enough to make it one of their priorities. They're much more concerned with stuff that actually, well, I, in a daily level, yeah, impacts on people's lives. There's always the mistake that's made on this issue, or there's always something more important. But actually, what is more important than who holds power in this country? How does power flow around this country? People can see that Westminster doesn't work for them. The Labour Party collectively seems convinced that it's now in with its most serious chance of power in many, many, many years, right? I wonder whether the Labour Party is prepared for power in the midst of this grave social and economic emergency in anything approaching the way that New Labour was prepared for power two years away from 1997. You know, New Labour had a view of the world, it had an understanding of the economy. There was a sense, really, that, that it made its own momentum. And therefore, the fact it was going to win felt inevitable. I remember reading The State We're In by Will Hutton, for example, which really set out an economic argument for a different sort of government. And then New Labour was seen to answer that. We're not there, are we? Keir Starmer feels like a much lonelier figure in that respect. Yeah, not, not only in terms of the vision, but also in terms of the institutional experience of people around him. You look at the shadow cabinet, I think there's two, David Lammy, no, not David Lammy, Yvette Cooper and Ed Miliband, who sat around the cabinet table in government. And then there's various others who jobs like David as Minister of State. Also his inner team, and I've heard a lot this week from Charlie Cabinet Ministers and others in the party is questioning the experience really of people in his team. You think back to 1997, and maybe again this is with the benefit of hindsight because they're now such big figures, but you, you know, Philip Gould, Angie Hunter, Peter Mandelson and uh, Alistair Campbell, he was surrounded by serious heavyweights and I think there's a feeling internally that that's not, that sort of depth of experience isn't necessarily replicated now. Now that's not to say that it won't be over the next couple of years, how they would actually put their plans into action. That process is only just beginning. It's right that isn't it Andy? Uh, winning is a much more arduous business than it seems essentially. God, absolutely. Uh, and I do feel, uh, actually for the first conference since we left government, that this is a conference where we're heading back in, where it's all, you know, this is, is it is the first one. Um, and I think that what everything that Pippa said is true, but there's a lot of talent in the, in the shadow cabinet. Um, and people will, I think, uh, be able to, to step up. But also there's a lot of people like myself and um, David Blunkett and Gordon around you know and we are here to to help and i do speak a lot to lots of members of the shadow cabinet many of them will visit and we will show them what we're doing so that's been going on probably out of your view a little bit not because you don't pay attention to these things just because you won't know about it because we haven't publicized it yeah, but i also live in somerset which doesn't help uh, that doesn't help you in the well nothing wrong with somerset of course a great really place is, but uh, jacob rees mogg <laughs> yeah, down is, the road but that's that, another story that, that, that's that's true isn't they're it? about and to start fracking the mendip hills terrifyingly i know that's, well, that's and, uh, my problem i'm looking forward to his um <laughs> His skills academy for chimney sweeps in Greater <laughs> Manchester, you know, it's a really like us. On that note, Pippa and us will be in Birmingham next week for Conservative Party Conference. Andy Burnham won't, I'm very envious. Uh, it only falls to me to say thank you for joining us, Pippa and Andy. Thank you very much. The producer of Politics Weekly UK is Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Cacoutier and the executive producers are Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. This is The Guardian.